cool. I won't try to yell too long. I've got a short sermon of about four and a half hours for you guys today. Uh, So honored to be with you. Uh, Yes, uh, I'm married to Camille. Somehow I snuck into the family, so uh, been a wonderful journey. We've been married 19 years. Uh, I've been preaching for about 15 years. Uh, It's been really fun and never managed my life to kind of dovetail between ministry and marketplace, but as Colin said in his great introduction, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and that's what I make my living, my vocation as. Uh, we, I'm not offended if you've never heard of our company before, but chances are you've probably used it to some capacity. And so it's really fun. We get to lead a team of about 100 people, and uh, it's just a wild, wild journey. All that to say is that if you don't like today's sermon, there are no refunds. So uh, that's a little bit about me, and again, honored to be here with you guys. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is what I believe is one of the most profound truths in all the Bible. And maybe not just the Bible, but I believe it's one of the most profound truths possibly in all the faith. And I'm convinced that if we grab hold of some of these truths I'm going to share today, that our lives could be completely different. But before we jump into that, let me pray for the message here. God, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and for the salvation we have in your Son. But today, Lord, we turn our attention to the incredible revelation of what happens to each of us who give our life to you. We ask that our hearts and our minds be open to what you want to hear or what you want to say to us, and we pray that we'd be able to hear your amazing truths. And we pray that we'd be able to lay hold of them in such a way that our lives would never be the same. Holy Spirit, we ask you to guide our exploration now. Would you build our faith for what might seem impossible to us in this moment, but is truth in your word. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, it's amazing, and it's challenging. So guide us now, in Jesus' name, amen. When you think about what it means to be a Christian, what comes to mind? Like, what is your like, most basic, simple definition of a believer? It's probably somebody who believes in Jesus and goes to heaven after they die, right? Like our official Christian slogan, John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world, right? We all know this, that he gave his only son, that whoever so believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's like the official banner verse for Christianity. And we have a shorthand for Christians. Sometimes we won't say, hey, are you Christian? But we'll have a shorthand, which is saved. I got saved in 1996. Are you saved? How did you get saved? Do you know if he's saved? And so we have this shorthand for saved. But what are we saved from? Hell, right? We're saved from hell. And I don't know how you came to faith, but as a millennial, let me tell you what every youth group was in the late 80s and early 90s. Every Wednesday night, the passionate preacher would probably end the service with this line. If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? You'd have this passionate moment where we would have someone that would say, if you got in a car, you got hit by a drunk driver, if you woke up, if something tragically happened, if you died tonight, where would you go? And myself and hundreds of kids would raise our hands. We'd go to the front, we'd say a prayer. I don't know, maybe some of you in here got saved that exact same way. If you attended a church service and there's a passionate preacher who's like, heaven and hell are real, don't leave here if you're uncertain. And it's, it's incredibly compelling. But what if that salvation message was a little bit incomplete? What if we're actually missing something as part of that 
incredible call. I'm not trying to diminish the reality that's there. But here's what can happen with these altar calls that, that win us in this way of where we are, are brought to like the awareness of heaven and hell is that myself, and I would say maybe millions upon millions of people, got into heaven not by running to the love of God, but by running from the fear of hell. If I'm completely honest, many of my early years of faith, I didn't love God. I was just hoping to not go to hell. Because that's what I was one with. And so I was honestly terrified of hell. And as long as I was going to avoid that, like me and Jesus, we're okay, right? You know, I was so terrified that what if my salvation prayer didn't work? You know, and when you're talking about hell, you can never be totally sure. So I, I have vivid memories. Like, I'd be flipping the channels as a kid, and like, Benny Hinn would come on. I'm like, in front of the TV, like, yes, Jesus. Like, I gave, like, every altar call there was, I was there with my hand raised, and it's at the front. I'm convinced that when I reach heaven one day, in some golden hall, there's going to be a plaque with my name on it for most salvation prayers prayed. And so the entirety of why I came to faith was actually not from the love of God. It actually was running from the fear of hell. I didn't have a transformed life. I didn't have a relationship. I didn't know what it was to live differently. And so that was my life. And my life was indistinguishable from every other non-Christian life. Except that I had the fire insurance. And that, that makes me wonder about how many other people have come to faith and they've just purchased the fire insurance. They don't have the relationship that we know to be true because my life in that era, until I had a traumatic experience when I was 18, 19, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I didn't like hear his voice. I didn't pray. I didn't walk in victory. I didn't have a powerful, winsome life. I didn't have a testimony where people were like, wow, tell me about the hope you have. I didn't live any differently because my salvation was limited to that salvation. And as long as my eternal fate was secure, I wasn't terribly concerned about my earthly life. And I think this broadly speaks to maybe a problem in the Christian faith where so many Christian lives look identical to non-Christian lives. Why do so many Christians live lives that are unchanged? And the expectation is, is that when we have Jesus, that our lives actually look different, right? And I believe it's possibly because so many people were brought into the faith by the promise of the afterlife and missed the promise of the transformed life that we have now. Yes, we got saved, we are redeemed, amen, we're forgiven, right? That's amazing. But what if that's just part of it? What if we're missing a whole other side of what comes with our salvation in the here and now? And we get this from our verse today, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'll abbreviate it for you that, therefore, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If there is one verse you're going to highlight in your Bible, like this should be one of the main ones you consider. And here's the central truth today around which all the rest of my message will coalesce around it's this is that is in Christ, you are not just saved, you are also transformed. If you walk away today, hear nothing else. That is the truth I want you to walk with. You are not just saved, you are also transformed. 
We are forgiven of our sins. We're redeemed. We have eternal life. That's awesome. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But the other half is we're actually called to live a different life, to be transformed. Paul to Ephesians says, put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. It's been created in righteousness and holiness and of truth. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. I've been crucified with him. And Jesus, throughout the whole gospel, has perplexed everybody by saying, you must be born again. People are like, what on earth are you talking about? You find this pattern all through scriptures that we are to be made new, to be different, to be created anew. And could it be that one of the main reasons that we don't live transformed lives is because we get saved and we've only bought the fire insurance and we've missed the promise of that transformed life. And many people don't know about the transformed life, so how could they live up to it? Maybe they're not living the transformed life because they actually don't think that they're capable of it. So what does it even mean to be transformed? What does this mean to be a new creation, to have a new man and a new self and to be born again? And we could spend weeks and weeks just talking about that, but today I want to center on three of my favorite things in the course of probably a lot of other ones since I don't have five hours with you. But the imagery I get is when we get a new car. I remember my first car, it had like roll-up windows. I remember getting a new car. It's like, oh my gosh, like you push a button and it goes down and, you know, just like getting to understand this. And a year and a half ago, we got a Tesla, which has got a self-driving mode. Oh my gosh. It's like incredible and terrifying. Sorry. Slap. And so that same exploration experience of like, wow, look at this. Like, this comes factory standard power windows. Incredible. That's how we should look at the transformed life. When you are new creation, the Greek word there is prototype, never been seen before. That that is who you are. And so what I want to do is take you on a brief three-stop tour of your new creation. The factory defaults, the standards. And the first one is this. That as a new creation... The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And this one should completely change how we pray, should change how we look at anything in our life, any challenge we face. Romans 8.11 says this, says the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Again, it's just one of these things, like we, we pass through the Bible, like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, and we just keep on moving on, and it's like, this is incredible. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. So do you know that when you got transformed, that not only were you redeemed, but God made his dwelling place inside of you? And during the Old Testament times, it was believed that God resided in a building, a physical building, the temple. And there's different layers. And inside the furthest was the Holy of Holies. And one time, once a year, one holy man would wander in there and make an offering to God. And I love the, the, the historical context because they were so terrified of God's presence as they wrapped a rope around his waist, tied bells to him in case he fell dead in there that you think they could pull him out, you know? And so there's a veil, a thick veil, separating God's presence from all of humanity. And so what happened when Jesus died on the cross? That veil was torn. Not because God was like, you know, we need to redecorate in here. This has really got to be changing up. You know, not for that. Why? It's because God was making a declaration of where his presence would be. That it would be in you. And Paul uses the same temple language when he says in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God and God's spirit dwells in you? He continues this iterative truth 
the Corinthians a few chapters later says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so these truths about God's presence and where it dwells and it's inside me is just remarkable. And I don't know if I fully believe it and live it out because it creeps into my prayers and I'm always like forgetting it. And I'm going to confess myself, probably this is what some of your prayers sound like too. God, would you be with me today? God, would you send your spirit with them? God, would you give me your spirit for this? And I get where it comes from, because as you read the Old Testament, that's all the language. And David, right, like in the Psalms, like prays these things, and that's how Israel, like, God, would you be with us? And so we've kind of adopted that. And then here we are, this new creation, the transformed being, that we are the temple, God's spirit is always within us. And we're like, God, would you give me your spirit? And you think that God's just like, I, I, I'm inside of you. I, I can't get any closer. So I might have just ruined how you pray, maybe forever. And that's a good thing. So how do we live the transformed life with this? Is that we need to walk into every situation reminding ourselves, I have the spirit of God in me. There's nothing I'm going to face that is bigger than what's inside of me. I love 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And so we can change our prayers. We can say, God, thank you that you are with me and you live through me and that all of heaven, all the power of heaven that raised Jesus from the dead is inside me all the time, 24 hours a day. I can face any challenge. Now, how is that for confidence? I mean, Christians, we should be the most courageous, bold people on the planet because we have this unfair advantage, right? Every situation you're going to face, you should face it with, I've got the Spirit of God in me. I don't care how afraid I am. I don't care how big. I don't care how intimidating it is. There's nothing I'm going to face that heaven does not have an answer for in me. And so I can walk boldly into it. That's a transformed life. So if you want to live a transformed life, you need to live as if the Spirit of God lives in you because it does. The second thing is, as a new creation, you have utter victory over the power of sin and the devil. Your new creation and your transformed self, it's not the same wimpy old self that you were. You might say, well, I don't feel any different. Well, I don't care how you feel. We are believers, not feelers. The Bible says you are made anew. And so as a new creation, you actually have a superpower to overcome sin, evil, and the devil that you didn't have before. Because before Christ, the Bible says, you were dead in your trespasses. It says that you were a slave to sin. Like, that language is like we were just utterly helpless, needing salvation, needing God. But look at what the Bible says after you've come to faith in Jesus. It says this, that sin shall no longer be master over you. That in the new creation, we have an unfair advantage Does this mean that you'll never sin at all ever again? Absolutely not. Does it mean that you'll never face temptation at all? You surely will. But here's what changed. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, No temptation is overtaking you, except which is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, and with the temptation will provide always an escape for you as well, so you will be able to endure it. So being a new creation means that when you do sin and you give in to it, you do so voluntarily. When you sin, it means that you didn't use the victory that was purchased for you for you to use. 
and you didn't behave like the transformed self. When I look at people and they've sinned, it's like, well, that's not, that's not the new creation. Like, stop behaving like your old self. Like, yeah, I should. It's like, exactly. Like, this is something you're freed from. I get that you're not walking in it, but the power for you to be victorious is there. But what about trials? Because, right, when we become Christians, all of our problems go away, right? That's why we, right? You know, no, 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 okay, no. Um, when we have trials and Jesus promises us trials, he's like, the world is going to give you trouble. He, it's like a sure thing. The world is going to give you trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're warned, we're told that we're going to have trials. In fact, in James, it says that the devil roams around like a, anybody remember what it is? Roaring lion, right? Lions are vicious. The devil is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What is our transformed new creation? It says in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have new authority. We have new strength. And not only this, not only do we have authority to resist, did you know that in your new creation, your new self, you have been issued the command in the partnership with God to stomp out the enemy. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Church, we have so many people that are afraid of the devil. Here's the newsflash. The devil's afraid of you. We need to live that way of like, hey, you know what? You're like, it's like having like this big, angry, incredible bark behind a door, and you're like, oh my gosh, it must be like this enormous pit bull or something that's going to rip my head off of you open there and it's like a little like chihuahua with a megaphone or something like that you know <laughs> that is it and when we realize our transformed self we can actually embark on a transformed life so how do we live this transformed life with this truth do we need to continually remind ourselves that we're not powerless against sin and satan are we going to fall absolutely but we get back up again because the victory is in christ and that victory is in us and so we remind ourselves that the victory is already won, that we are not the same person. I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care what addiction you have. We can stand on the truth that while I still am wandering and struggling through this, the victory of Christ is in me. And I might still continue to struggle, but the victory is in me, and I'm going to move forward in that victory. And so we remind ourselves that as a new creation, we actually have a new capability that we didn't have before. And we remind the devil that he might score some points, we're watching the scoreboard, too. We know how this ends. We've seen the end of the story. So if you want to live a transformed life, you need to live like you are totally free and victorious over sin and the devil, because you are. And third and finally for today, as a new creation, you have the mind of Christ. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, goes on and on about his transformed life because of the Spirit of God. And he talks about what he knows about the Spirit of God that it comes from the Spirit of God. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, uh, or 1 Corinthians 2.15, says, For to us God revealed himself through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And then what he does here is he then inserts an Old Testament passage, because he's going to contrast it. We know he quotes Old Testament because it's all in caps, which you're like, why is he yelling? No, it's, he's, he's like citing Old Testament scripture. He says, for who has known the mind of Christ? That is an Old Testament reference. So follow me. He says that the Spirit of God has brought to me awareness of all things of the Spirit of God. And then he says, but the Old Testament says, who knows the mind of Christ? Who knows the mind of God to instruct him? And then he says, the seven most incredible 
words in the Bible. For we have the mind of Christ. Just like, wow. We have the mind of Christ. Let that sink in. I mean, it's, it's one of these, again, tall passages where my job is to bring you the text. It's your job to believe and internalize it. But it's, again, one of those things where I'm going to reside myself upon the truth and try and live it out, even though I don't understand it. But the mind of Christ is how our life becomes transformed in every single way. Paul, in chapter 12 of Romans, says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewed mind is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is that renewed mind. The mind of Christ is the surrendered mind to God to say, God, would you lead me and guide me into your will, into your ways? The transformed mind is actually the gateway to that transformed living and life that we have. And Paul to the Ephesians says, I pray that you'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. These are gifts within the renewed mind. Now, why wisdom and revelation? Wisdom is so that we guide our lives in the ways of God to live justly, godly, and righteously. Sometimes people think that wisdom is only for when I've got a big problem to solve. And I've made a big mess of my life and now I need wisdom, you know. That's what we think. It's actually not that at all. Wisdom's the other side of that. Wisdom says, I'm going to order my life in such a way I'm going to avoid trouble. Solomon, who's described as the wisest man in all the Bible, right? He wrote all the Proverbs. It says in 2 Kings 5 that he had no adversary. Anybody know his biggest accomplishment? It was building the temple. Something you can only do when you are not at war. Okay? And you read the Proverbs. Solomon wrote all the Proverbs. They're not like, all right, so when you make this big mistake, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you the secret. No, it's like all these instructions, how to avoid trouble. So wisdom, the spirit of wisdom is for how we can order our lives and to guide our lives in such a way that we avoid trouble. Certainly it's useful for when we are in trouble, but primarily Solomon and the wisdom of God is actually to order our steps in such a way that we can have peace and like Solomon, have no adversary. But what about revelation? Revelation is actually the voice of God to feel his heart, which is guiding us for people, places, and situations. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. I'm going to move that over here. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. He's not saying, not some sheep hear my voice. Not like my favorite sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Like, well, I don't hear the voice of God. Well, that's probably a problem on our end, not on his end. And there's a misconception that we think that, you know, the voice of God is this, hello, or, you know, it's like this, like, deep James Earl Jones voice, right? <laughs> like, well, I've never had that. Well, most people haven't, you know, and I'm not here to judge anybody else's experience. That's not my experience, but the voice of God comes through prompts, it comes through ideas and nudges to our mind. I've never had Jesus show up in a taco before, but I've definitely had him tell me, turn the car around. I've had him say, hey, reach out to that person right now. And it comes through our own mind, will, and emotions that God is like, hey, I'm living through you. My spirit is in you. And if those things are true, he must certainly be talking to us and nudging us and revealing to us ways in which we can show up for a hurt and broken world. 
And so these two things, wisdom and revelation, are made available when we pursue that renewed mind that's been promised to us. So how do we live a transformed life of this truth? As we approach our daily thinking that we've been given the renewed mind of Christ to thrive. We are given that unfair advantage. We are given that ability to where we can declare in our prayers, God, all wisdom is in you. And you freely give all that wisdom. And that wisdom is available to me through this renewed mind. I pray you help me apply all of the wisdom that's available in you for my life, for this situation, to live righteously and justly and godly. Help me order my steps. We also can ask for revelation. Jesus, thank you that you speak. Thank you that the problem is not me, or the problem is not you. The problem is my ability to hear you. Help me hear and experience what you are saying and wanting to do. Thank you that you long to show up in me so that I can show up for others in your name. Help me to know who and what to do. I invite you, I listen now and, and trust that you do that. That is a powerful prayer that's utilizing the mind of Christ. So if you want to live that transformed life, you need to live like you have the mind of Christ, because you do. The transformed life in Christ is so vast. It's, these are only three things. I wish I could give you guys many, many more, but um, there's countless ways, and they're all in the Bible. This is good news. <laughs> um, and when we start looking for it, we can start living it. But let me summarize. is that the gift of our salvation is not that we one day go to heaven, while it's also that, it's also the promise that we can live a transformed life now. You are not just saved, you are also transformed. And in Christ, we are this new creation prototype, right? Never been seen before. We are born again and we're made alive. We are not our old self. Stop living like your old self, you don't have to. And as a new creation, we've got incredible ways to live that transformed life. Eric's favorite three today are the Spirit of God living inside of you. Every situation you face, I bolster the presence of God in me. I'm going to run at this problem because greater is in he who's in me than he's in the world. I'm also totally victorious. I don't care how many times I've struggled. I don't care how many times I fall. I'm going to get back up again because the victory is mine. I'm not going to be held down. I'm not going to make the devil into this big scary monster. I'm not afraid of him. He's afraid of me, and I'm going to go chase him out of this world. And the last, I've got the renewed mind of Christ. I can think differently. I can look at the world differently. I can strategize differently. I can apply wisdom in ways that other people can't. And maybe right now you're a little bit perplexed because you're like, my life doesn't look like that right now. And that's a challenge, right? But just because these are God's promises and they are true, it's up to us to believe them and to apply them. My mom wants, she's this bleeding heart, just most compassionate person ever. I mean, she'll adopt a gas station boy. She wants to try to rescue a dog at a gas station, and just the owner's like out of sight, like, what are you doing with my dog? You know, like, <laughs> so compassionate. Visits this restaurant. There's a homeless man out there begging for food, and she would, you know, see him all the time and, and give things to him, and eventually she just got bothered because he's always by this restaurant. Goes in the restaurant, talks to the manager, we need to do something about this guy. You know, do you have any scraps? Do you have any food that's about to spoil? And they looked at their, her, and they just like laughed. She's like, he's one of the wealthiest guys in this whole entire town. Wildly successful. And he's, this is the life he's just choosing to live. And so the point here is that we can die of starvation with a full refrigerator. We can live a powerless life by never accessing the transformed life. 
that is promised. And so it is up to us. God has done the work. We need to believe it and live it out. Because there's so much in Christ that's promised to us. And it's up to us to know it, to believe it, and to walk it out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the transformation we have in you. Thank you that you have not only saved us for eternity, but you've promised us new life here and now. Help us to lay hold of this truth and to understand all that you've made possible. For those here who don't feel your presence and they might feel powerless, Jesus, we ask that you would make your presence known in them. We stand on your promise that your spirit is in us, whether we feel it or not. So we ask for brand new confidence and courage to face the issues of our life today. For those who are discouraged and exhausted from the battle of sin and evil, we ask you to renew their strength with knowledge of the victory that is in you. For those who are facing addictions and relentless temptation, we declare with your word that sin shall not be master any longer. And for those who the Son has set free, they are free indeed. Yes, Jesus, we stand on that promise. For those needing your help to navigate this world we live in, we pray the mind of Christ over this church that you would renew our strength by renewing our mind and we seek new and fresh perspective. We ask for wisdom to walk in an upright way that would help us to avoid evil and temptation adversaries. And we also ask for revelation, Jesus, to hear from your spirit in ways for how we can demonstrate you to a broken and hurting world. We leave here in a renewed sense of our awareness of what you offer to us. Help us to live out the transformed life which is available to all of us in you. And we thank you in your son's holy name, Jesus' name. Amen.